There are places in the woods where the boundary between this world and the others is thin. Where darkness and light mix to create a shifting palette of reaching shadows. Places where, if you stand still and listen, the rustling of the trees start to sound like whispers. I'm Tyler Liston. Come with me as I explore the timber. When I say the words UFO enthusiast, what image comes to your mind? Now, it's okay to be a little bit stereotypical here. I won't judge you. If I had to venture a guess, it would be someone who is a little bit overweight, living in a basement somewhere. Someone who is always a little bit sticky for some reason. And someone who's mad at their mom because they ran out of pizza rolls the other day. In other words, the image most people possess of a UFO enthusiast is not very flattering. Now, I'll be the first to admit that the UFO conventions I've been to didn't necessarily smell the best. But the people there were from all walks of life. There were scientists and pastors and retail workers and housewives... There were Fortune 500 executives, bankers, psychologists, and doctors there as well. In a recent poll released by Pew, 65% of Americans believe in extraterrestrial life. For those under the age of 30, 76% believe that intelligent life exists on other planets. If you extrapolate that percentage out, it means that 134 million adults in America are believers. And not all of them live in their mom's basement. So why does the image of the crazy loner still persist? Is it because those folks are easy targets? Is it because the only sexy believers we've ever seen in the media are Fox Mulder and Giorgio Tsoukalos? And even then, Mulder is the only stone-cold ten of the bunch. Giorgio is, at best, a Los Angeles 3 or a Cincinnati 7. Do we have this idea that insanity and poor hygiene are necessary aspects of being a believer because we have been conditioned by the government to shun and exclude anyone who takes UFOs seriously? Is the image of the sweaty, puckmarked believer actually a psyop? The topic of aliens and UFOs have been on everyone's lips recently due to the Pentagon's UFO report that dropped in June of 2021. Everyone from CNN to Fox News to the New York Times and the Washington Post have run articles and editorials talking about the claims held within the report. But UFOs themselves are nothing new. In the Christian Bible, 
Ezekiel describes a ship that appeared in the skies above what is now modern-day Kuwait. He wrote in chapter 1, verse 4, As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it and a fire flashing forth continually, and in the middle of the fire, something like gleaming amber. Starting in verse 15, he says, As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground besides each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz. And all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. Their rims were high and awesome and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that the Bible is believable in any way, but that sure sounds like a UFO to me. In 1561, a mass sighting of celestial phenomena and unidentified flying objects was reported in Germany. The broadsheet that declared the news, written by a letter writer named Hans Glaser, stated, In the morning of April 14, 1561, at daybreak, a dreadful apparition occurred on the sun, and then this was seen in Nuremberg in the city, before the gates and in the country, by many men and women. At first, there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircular arcs, just like the moon in its last quarter. And in the sun, above and below and on both sides, the color was blood. There stood a round ball of partly dull, partly black ferrous color. Likewise, there stood on both sides and as a torus about the sun, such blood-red ones and other balls in large number. There were three to a line, and four in a square, and also some that were alone. In between these globes there were visible a few blood-red crosses, between which there were blood-red strips becoming thicker to the rear, and in the front, malleable like the rods of reed grass, which were intermingled, among them two big rods, one on the right, the other to the left, and within the small and big rods there were three or four globes these all started to fight amongst themselves so that the globes which were first in the sun flew out to the one standing on both sides thereafter the globes standing outside the sun in the small and large rods flew into the sun besides the globes flew back and forth amongst themselves and fought vehemently with each other for about an hour and when the conflict in and again out of the sun was at its most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they all fell from the sun down upon the earth, as if they all burned, and then they wasted away on the earth with immense smoke. After all this, there was something like a black spear, very long and thick, sighted. The shaft pointed to the east, and the point pointed west. 
the stupas and vimana of ancient Mesopotamia and India, the moon boat that reportedly visited China every 12 years, the Hull incident in 19th century England, the Foo Fighters of World War II. The list goes on and on. Humans have been dealing with and trying to understand unidentified flying objects ever since we evolved the ability to look up into the sky. So why are we just now starting to hear from the mainstream sources about the phenomenon? It's almost like we needed the military to be involved, to take it seriously. But, as we have learned from the multitude of Freedom of Information Act dumps throughout the past few decades, the United States military and our government rarely tell us the truth. If the Pentagon issued a press release tomorrow that said that the Earth is round, you can rest assured that our planet is flat as a motherfucker. So we shouldn't trust them. But the military might just be the reason that the state of Ohio is overrun with UFO and extraterrestrial sightings. The state of Ohio sits at number 8 on the list of states with the most UFO sightings. The most famous of these, and the one many researchers call the most credible UFO report of all time, happened on October 18, 1973, in the north-central portion of the state over Charles Mill Lake. A military helicopter with four army reservists was flying over the nearby town of Mansfield on their way to Cleveland. At approximately 11 p.m., the UH-1H copter was cruising at 2,500 feet above sea level. When its flight medic, Cleveland Police Officer Sergeant John Healy, noticed a single red light to the west, flying south. A few minutes later, the flight's crew chief, Sergeant Robert Janicek, reported a single red light on the southeast horizon. Now, he assumed that the light was a tower beacon or an airplane wing light until it turned towards their helicopter and started rapidly approaching. Captain Lawrence Jake Coyne, who had 19 years of helicopter flight experience, quickly ordered a descent of 500 feet per minute, simultaneously contacting the National Guard aircraft tower in Mansfield to check if it was one of theirs. Captain Coyne increased their descent to 2,000 feet per minute at a speed of 100 knots, but they still couldn't outrun the approaching object. As the light got closer, the crew braced for impact. Just before striking their nose, though, the light halted and began hovering above and in front of the helicopter. Coyne, Healy, and Yanisek all described a similar ship that sat above them. It was a cigar-shaped, domed, gray metallic structure. They said that there were what looked like windows at the top of the dome. The red light that they initially saw was at the bow, 
and there was an indented white light at the stern. It just hovered there, above them, silent and looming. Coin later said in an interview, we assumed it was a high-performance fighter, but when it stopped directly in front of us, all four of us realized it was no high-performance craft. This craft, from the angle that we saw it, was cigar-shaped. It had no wings, no vertical or horizontal stabilizer, and was approximately 60 feet long. Suddenly, a green, pyramid-shaped beam similar to the spotlight appeared, first passing over the helicopter's nose, and then up through the windshield and upper window panels. The cockpit and all four men inside were enveloped in green light. That's when the helicopter started to climb. Like in all of the old movies and sci-fi shows, the helicopter was being dragged upwards as if it were caught by a tractor beam. The terrified crew watched as they climbed for about 10 seconds before they were released. They looked at the altimeter and realized that they had climbed from 1,700 feet to 3,500 feet in just those few seconds. The object then accelerated off to the west before it executed a sharp, seemingly impossible turn, and raced over Lake Erie. First Lieutenant Arrigo Jezzi, a chemical engineer and the one controlling the helicopter that night, estimated that it moved much faster than the 250-knot limit for aircraft below 10,000 feet. After arriving in Cleveland, Captain Coyne contacted the Mansfield National Guard Tower and discovered that they had no recordings of any contact with him that night. Not even a tape of the initial call. But they did determine that no other aircraft was in the area at that time. Coyne had also noticed that during the incident, his magnetic compass in the helicopter stopped working correctly, so he filed a report to have it fixed. But the maintenance crews were unable to fix it, and eventually had to replace the entire unit. This sighting was corroborated by witnesses on the ground. 15-year-old Terry Hamilton was riding home from nearby Huron with his father when they saw a big ball of light come down from the sky and then move upward quickly until it was out of sight. The Ashland County Sheriff's Office got a call that night from a woman in northern Ashland County who reported an object was hovering over the trees in her backyard. According to the official report that was filed, Two deputies and an Ashland Times-Gazette photographer went to the woman's property, saw the object, and ended up ducking and crawling away in fear. A quote, prominent citizen in town saw it out of her back window. She said that she saw a saucer floating towards her house, and she got on her knees and started to pray. She thought it was the end of the world. Author and journalist Jim Carver wrote about the, his experience with the UFO for his site, The Rust Belt Chronicles. He says, My brother, Bill Carver, first noticed the lights in the distant southwestern sky. It was still daylight and the sun was setting. 
I remember seeing three lights and one of those lights on the left may have been a star. My dad, brother, and myself shared the binoculars as we witnessed the middle object perform incredible movements, dancing in the sky at incredible laser precision angles and speed. The middle object wasn't as bright as the other two objects, but the maneuvers were spectacular. We could see red, green, and white lights blinking constantly as we were viewing from a kitchen window. During one of my turns watching the UFO, I saw the smaller center object merge into the larger object to its right. Bill suddenly shouted out, It's moving! And he became visibly excited as the unidentified flying object moved from the southwest to the northeastern sky. As the object appeared closer to our neighborhood, we went outside to get a better view. It slowly moved northeast towards Mansfield, Ohio. At this time, several of our neighbors came over to our property and witnessed the event. I got bored watching the cigar-saved object, so I got in the car and drove towards Mansfield to get a closer view. Little did I know, I would miss one of the most spectacular UFO events in history. My brother Bill recalls the UFO shooting across the sky towards the chopper. Everyone thought a mid-air collision was about to happen. During this time, I had driven a few blocks from my parents' house and was driving north on Paul Boulevard. I stopped the car once I noticed how close the UFO was above the tree line. The chopper was beneath my view, but here in plain view was the UFO. Green light in front, white and red light on the rear. It was a nearly 60 foot long, dark, metallic gray object that had the appearance of a cigar-shaped stogie. I sat in my car, marveling at its appearance. It made no sound. Suddenly, the UFO shot off towards the northwest, and in literally seconds, it was the size of a star in the distance. Soon, a small squadron of military jets appeared in the area, and then flew away towards where the UFO had gone. Lights in the sky are not the only bizarre and possibly extraterrestrial phenomenon that calls Ohio home. In 1955, a traveling salesman who wished to remain anonymous was driving home from a sales conference. At around three in the morning, as he was heading down a road that ran parallel to the Little Miami River, he spotted three figures standing on this river side of the road. Based on their height, he thought they were kids out playing way too late at night. So, he decided to pull over and shoo them away. As he got closer, and the lights from his car illuminated the group, he realized that they were not children. They weren't human at all. They were frogmen. 
Each was between three and four feet tall, and they were standing on their hind legs as if they were bipedal. They had leathery skin, webbed hands and feet, and the facial features of a frog. They stood staring at the man for a moment, seeming to talk to one another. They didn't seem scared or nervous or angry, just annoyed. After about three minutes, one of the frogmen produced a long, cylindrical object, which it held above its head. A shower of sparks burst into the night sky, prompting the businessman to throw his car into gear and speed away. Just like other cases of unidentified or paranormal phenomena, no one believed the man or took the story of these frogmen seriously. That is, no one took it seriously until the authorities got involved. In March of 1972, a year and a half before the coin UFO incident, the frogmen made another appearance near the town of Loveland, Ohio. At about 1 a.m., a police officer named Ray Shockey was traveling along Riverside Road, heading towards Loveland, when he saw something that would forever change his life. The officer claimed that he was driving slowly due to the substantial amount of ice on the road when he saw what looked like a dog by the curb. Suddenly, the animal darted in front of the cruiser, forcing the officer to slam on the brakes in order to keep from hitting it. Once the cruiser fully stopped, its headlights fell upon the animal. In the span of seconds, this crouched, frog-like creature stood on two legs, stared back at the policeman, then scrambled over the guardrail and scurried down the embankment, finally disappearing into the river. The officer in question described the creature as being three to four feet tall and weighing in the area of 50 to 75 pounds. He also claimed that its skin had a leathery texture and that the animal's features resembled those of a frog or a lizard. Another officer investigated the scene later that evening. He saw no sign of the creature, but he did file an official report saying that there were distinct scratch marks on the guardrail where the animal purportedly crossed. Two weeks later, Officer Mark Matthews was driving into Loveland when he spotted what looked like an injured animal on the pavement. Matthews climbed out of the cruiser with the intention of removing the carcass from the already ice-slicked road, when the creature abruptly lurched upward into a crouched position. Taken aback by the frogman's reptilian visage, Matthews unholstered his revolver and took a shot at the creature, which then proceeded to hobble over to the side of the road and step over the guardrail all the while keeping a watchful eye on the trigger-happy officer. Nearly 30 years later, Officer Meadows recanted his story, saying that what he saw and took a shot at was nothing more than a large iguana that had either escaped from or grew too big for their owner. He said that it wasn't standing up at all, and it scampered away from him in all fours, just like an iguana would. An iguana in Ohio in March. You sure about that? On the dates in question, the temperature in Loveland was 21 and 28 degrees Fahrenheit, according to the Farmer's Almanac. 
As we all learned in grade school, iguanas are cold-blooded reptiles who prefer ambient temperatures of 85 to 95 degrees. If the thermometer dips below 50 degrees, they become lethargic and mostly immobile. If it hits 40 degrees, their blood slows and they die, sometimes raining on the heads of people walking under trees like it did in October of 2020 in South Florida. At 20 to 30 degrees, with windy and icy conditions, any iguana in the open would be dead. It wouldn't be running from the cops and jumping over guardrails. Even if you wanted to say that what these people saw were actually just huge frogs, you wouldn't be able to. Frogs are cold-blooded, just like iguanas. They'd be just as dead as the others. No, these beings have to be something else. Something not of this dimension or plane of reality. The Frogman legend didn't just start during the UFO crazy sci-fi era of 1955, either. Some claim that the legend goes back centuries. There's a legend claiming that the native Miami people warned French explorers in the 17th century about creatures called the Shawnahawk. The Shawnahawk were river demons described as a hybrid between a frog and a man, minus the nose and hair a man would have. It had dark and bumpy skin, and was also said to be wrinkled and slimy. The Shawnahawk guarded the riverbanks and chased away anyone who came into their territory. They also could not be killed, returning again and again to fight against the tribe and its people. After battling the demons, the Miami warriors drove them back into the waters of the Little Miami River. But. After the white settlers came and stole the land from the Miami, the Shawnahawk were able to return and torment those who strayed too close. Beyond the what of the Loveland Frogmen, we need to start asking why. Why were they here? Why do they keep being spotted in this one specific area of the state? Why is the rest of the state hounded by thousands of UFO sightings? Why is all this shit happening in Ohio, of all places? Maybe they're there for a reason. Maybe they're looking for something something or maybe even someone that was recovered on a ranch near Corona, New Mexico in 1947 and is currently being stored and studied in Ohio. Maybe they are there because of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. This has been episode two of The Timber, Ohio. Join us next week as we continue our season exploring the mysteries that Ohio has to offer. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Timber wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was written and produced by me, Tyler Liston. 
Music is by Alastair Sung and licensed through Musicbed. If you're a fan of The Timber, check out the other podcasts that are a part of the We Are Horror podcast network, like Drinking the Kool-Aid. Each week, hosts Cassidy and Amanda look into the tales of the unknown. There's true crime, disappearances, ghosts, demons, aliens, cryptids, and just about everything else a nerd like me would love. You can find Drinking the Kool-Aid on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any other place to get your podcasts. Also be sure to check out Nightmare on 5th Street, where co-hosts and sisters Alma and Dahlia discuss a different horror movie every week, every week. Cult classics, foreign, ghost stories, and cheesy 80s horror are just some of the genres they love to discuss. Expect plenty of mispronunciations, spoilers, not safe for work content, and maybe some jump scares along the way. Looking for more spooky tales and horror analysis from marginalized voices? Check out our horror magazine, We Are Horror. You can find us on Twitter at WeAreHorrorZine or online at www.WeAreHorrorMagazine.com. Until next time, be safe.